Our God brings new mercies, new compassions, not just once a year, not just when things are bad, but every single morning. This season has been tough. And for many of us, things will never be the same. But we are here, breathing, maybe smiling, or crying, or shouting, or laughing. But we are here, feeling, maybe fighting, or cheering, or seeking, or grieving, but we are here living and we are not alone our God is here our God is with us and our God is the God of new creations good morning church Man, aren't we excited to serve a God who makes things new? Uh, we serve Him through Jesus Christ, and I'm so glad that you're here today to celebrate that risen Savior. He's Lord of our life, and He is the hope that we have in this world. He blesses each and every one of us each and every day. And what a blessing it is to journey with you each Sunday morning and throughout the week, but to come together on the first day of the week to praise His name, to lift Him up, to recognize that we do have a Savior in this world. We've got some guests with us today, and we want to say welcome. It's truly an honor you're here. And our hope, of course, is that uh, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to consider being a part of our Crosspoint family right here, to join with us as we've made a decision to give up our lives, to give it to God and say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And so we ask you to join us in that story. There are lots of different ways to get involved in ministry here. Some of those have already been mentioned, but you might check out the bulletin that you got when you walked in the front door. Uh, the program there on the back are uh, the sermon notes, and so you can take some notes as we go through the Word of God this morning. Uh, but a, a few things I want to mention along the way. One is we've got about 100 people at the uh, family retreat this weekend, and so that's a great opportunity for them to be together, to be encouraged as a family, to get some direction uh, from the Word and uh, for the rest of our staff that's out there as well. Uh, and so pray for them. They have a safe journey home and that the weekend has been a blessing for them. I want to remind you too, November 5th, Halal Hymns will be right here in our auditorium. It's a metro event and so anybody can come. We're going to have folks in our building that have never been here before. It's going to be a great opportunity uh, not only just to, to sit around and praise God together, but to also kind of outreach into our community and pull folks in. So it's a great opportunity for you to invite uh, those that you know well, uh, those that you don't know well, those in your neighborhood, at your workplace. Uh, get online and register. It is a free event, but you've got to register to make sure that we've got enough chairs uh, in here uh, to accommodate the event. And once again, as said, it's both a cappella and instrumental, so there's going to be some great hymns, all the hymns, over a two-hour period that we'll take a look at. Mike Cope will be on video as well, kind of introducing some of those and the history behind some of those uh, hymns that we sing and have loved over time. And, and so you're going to want to be here for that event. 
Uh, I want to mention, too, that next week we'll start a brand new series from the book of Haggai, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's going to be a great look at uh, this very small book. This preacher existed about 520 B.C., and uh, he, he existed in a time of political turmoil and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And so uh, in our current situation here in America with uh, uh, voting just around the corner, uh, a new president just around the corner, I thought this would be apropos to take a a three-week journey through Haggai. Again, it's only two chapters. And so I encourage you this week to go through and read the book of Haggai and kind of get your head wrapped around some of the things that he is saying. Today we are finishing up our series on Flip the Script, uh, the lies that the enemy tells us that we buy into at times. The lies that he tells us that we empower because for whatever reason we tend to, to lean toward that at times and fall into those lies that he tells us when the truth is God's given us the script, the real truth. And for whatever reason, we, we have some interaction, we have ex- life experience happen and we fall into sometimes leaning into and believing what the enemy has to tell us. And when we do that, we empower those lies to become truth to us in our life. Whatever we believe, whatever we think about in life, whether it is true or not, some things will happen in your life. If you lean into that lie that the enemy is telling us, it will shape your attitude. It will change how you think about things. Your attitude toward people, your attitude toward the workforce, your attitude toward neighbors you might have, your attitude toward God and the church. If you lean into those lies that the enemy is telling us, they will govern your emotions. How you express love, how you express grace and mercy for all of those around you, that lie will dictate how you interact with people on an emotional level. If we lean into and believe the script that the enemy has given us, it will determine our behavior. It will change the way we act in life, that we will be more about looking out for number one, less about taking risk, and, and less about getting involved in the story of God like the master wants us to get involved in his story. And ultimately, when we lean into that script that the enemy's given us, it will decide our future, what that looks like for us, not only in this life, but many times in the next. And so you and I have got to pull back the curtain, so to speak. We've got to reveal what the enemy is truly all about. We've got to make a decision that we are going to truly lean into the script that God has for us because he wants to give us life. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us all the blessings that he has in store for us, but we've got to move forward in God's story and leave the enemy's script behind. Robin and I had a chance last week to go visit some uh, longtime friends in Abilene. He's uh, an ophthalmologist there in uh, Abilene. He was the first kid to ever graduate from one of my youth groups in Ponca City, Oklahoma. And uh, Gabe is a great friend of mine and a confidant. We talk very often. We do vacation together sometimes. Uh, but Gabe is also working on his MDiv at ACU. He's also working on being a life coach, a certified life coach. He's got about 10 clients right now that he's working with. And I was asking him how that was going, what was happening in that realm of his world and how he was getting organized. And he said, you know, Tim, the one question that I end up asking everybody, and we kind of park our car there, we just really unpack this question. And it's a great question for you and I as we finish up this series. The question is this, what is holding you back? In God's story, in his script, 
with what he wants you to do in life, how he wants to bless you, what is it that's holding you back? And for some of us, we need to get very serious and honest with ourselves in what is holding us back. What is the draw that makes us lean into that script that Satan gives us? Sometimes we believe we don't have what it takes. We've listened to that far too many times. Sometimes we think that we're, we deserve to be happy in definition of our happy rather than looking at what God's called us that will make us happy and give us joy in our life. We, sometimes we lean into that script that says, you know, you're never going to change anyway, so why even try? You're not, you're not going to be the person God's called you to be, so just give up. Which brings us to where we're going to be today, and that's when I look at that lie, you should just give up. But we remember from the very first lesson in our series what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, amen? I mean, Jesus is the answer to every single question. He can empower us to do great and mighty things, things that we never thought possible. We can overcome the script that the enemy has given us and buy into what God wants us to believe in. And when we make a decision to believe the script that God's given us, guess what's going to happen in our lives? We are going to reach out and take risks for the cause of Christ. We're going to get outside of ourselves. We're going to move past the fence. And there's not going to be anything holding us back anymore. But sometimes we tend to fall into that category and believe the lie that Satan tells us that, you know, you should just give up. You should throw in the towel. You should just be done with it all because it's just never going to change. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And we fall into the idea that, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm going to keep moving forward the way I see it. And so today we're going to take a look at this life, the story of the life of Job. So be in your Bibles. Job is in the Old Testament. It's right before the Psalms. And uh, it is an interesting story. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to skip around in some text to get the gist of the story. Most of us that grew up in church kind of know the general aspect of the story of Job. But make no, make no remark other than it is a spiritual battle that he is involved in. Just like you and I are. You and I are, are called to understand that this is a supernatural experience as we think about our own life. How we live life out, and we're going to look at that as it's played out in the life of Job. The choices that he made in the scripts that he decided to read or not to read. So let's begin reading about the story of Job in his life, chapter 1, verse 1 in Job. It says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Wow. Job is significantly rich. He's a man of character and integrity. He's been blessed by God in numerous ways with family he lives in an area where people lift him high and hold him in high esteem. They, they respect him. But there's a point in time right after we're given this description of Job's life when the accuser, Satan, comes before God himself with other heavenly hosts. 
Let's begin reading in verse 6. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that is going on. And he calls attention to Job in his own life. You know, Peter describes Satan in this regard as well. He says that Satan goes to and fro on the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that's exactly the person that the accuser is in our story. God calls the attention to his great servant Job, who lifts him up, who worships him, who holds him in high esteem. And Satan says, wait a minute, you kind of protect him. If you'll just let me at him a little bit, I'll show you just how dedicated he is to you. And as we begin reading the rest of Job's story, it seems unfair the things that happened to Job. And Job's got to make a decision in his own life how he's going to interact and react to that. Job has to make a choice in what script he is going to read. You guys know that Robin, my wife, is a fifth grade teacher, and I love the stories that she brings home uh, from school. And uh, every now and then, without names, I get to insert some of those into the storyline on a Sunday morning. She is great about giving choice, or at least giving the illusion that there is a choice. (laughs) She said uh, during the cool months when it transitions from uh, the front end of the school year into the fall, it gets cool and kids bring their jacket. And so she gives them a choice as they head out to recess. They said, do you want to carry your jacket or do you want to wear it? And they think they're getting a choice. She knows the jacket's going with you. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. They get a choice. And so in our own life, we too have a choice to make. Are we going to listen to the enemy script or are we going to buy into the script that God has given us? And like Job, we find that many times we are faced with many difficult circumstances in our life that we have to deal with. Seemingly unfair circumstances that happen to us too many times. But what we're reminded of at the front end of our story is it is the enemy that causes this type of hurt in our life. It's not God. It is the enemy who wreaks havoc in our lives when things go not as we had planned them. Let's begin reading again in verse 14. Job is minding his own business and he says in verse 14, A messenger arrived at Job's home with news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job would say, wow, that's not exactly how I had planned the day. I'm missing a lot of stock. And of course, I've got several people who are dead that work for me. I've got to think about their own families. But then in verse 16, while that messenger was speaking... Another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. That's not the end of it. Verse 17. While that one was speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels, all 3,000 of them, and killed your servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Well, I... Don't have any livestock left anymore in a span of about a minute. I've got all this news, but we're not done yet. 
Verse 18, while that messenger was speaking, yet another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. You know, I've had some bad days at the office. I'm sure you have too. There, there have been days that I thought, ah, I should have just stayed home today. Shouldn't have gone in. But I've never had a day like this. W- what script are you going to choose when the world is coming down around your head? Who, who are you going to lean into when all seems to be going wrong? Because you and I feel like at times that we are getting hit from every side, don't we? We feel like, is there anyone listening to my prayer? Is there anyone that can help me in this moment of need? Because, you know, it used to be other people that were in those positions. It it was this family over here and, and, and this area over here in work, but now it's me. I'm in the middle of the whirlwind. I'm in the middle of the storm. You know, as a minister and pastor over the last 24 years, I've talked to many, many different families who were in the middle of the storm. And I've discovered my experience has been one of two things happen in that moment. People either push God away or they lean into God. There's rarely, if ever, any middle ground. You either blame God or or you say, I need God desperately in this moment. You get that doctor's diagnosis the day that you're sitting at his office. And things don't look good. It's not a good report. Are you going to lean into God's script or are you going to take the script that Satan has to offer you? You should just give up. That sickness that you've had, it's just hanging around for weeks on end. Is anyone listening to my prayer? Are you going to lean into who God says he is or are you going to lean in and believe the script that Satan gives you? You're in a financial rough spell. You're wondering, do I buy groceries or do I make the car payment? Which one do I do? In that moment when you feel like the world is just squeezing you, are you going to lean into God or are you going to lean into the script that Satan gives you? You feel betrayed in a relationship. It's it's someone that you loved and you cared about. But they made a different decision in life and you're feeling crushed. Are you leaning into God or are you going to lean into the script that Satan gives you? You made a wrong decision somewhere in your life. And now those ghosts are coming back to haunt. Are you going to lean into God or are you going to lean into the script that Satan gives you? And remember, you and I need God. You and I need to lean into the one that created the universe. We need to lean into the one who loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross. We need to ignore the script that says you should just give up. Just throw the towel in. Remember, it's not God's fault. But our story continues in verse 20 because Job has been given the news. Basically, he's lost everything. So Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground and just gave up. I think I read that wrong. Let me read that again. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. 
Wow. I, I don't know that I've ever read that before in the story of Job. Can you imagine the world squeezing you, falling in on you, you feel like you're all alone, nothing is going quite right, and yet you turn around and you listen to the story that God's given you, the script that he's given you, you lean into him, you fall to your knees, and you worship. That's what Job did, and he just lost everything. One thing we find out from the story of Job is Your story doesn't have to be defined by what happens to you. But your story should be defined by how you respond. What are you going to do in those moments when Satan thinks that you're going to take the script, but yet you turn around and flip the script? We go on to chapter 2 because the story isn't over yet, believe it or not. We look at the story... As it begins to unfold in chapter 2, and Job loses his health. It says from head to toe he was covered in boils. They're nasty skin lesions. And the text tells us that he sits down in, in the ash, and he takes broken pottery and he begins to scrape his skin just to have some relief from the itch from the things that are happening to his own physical body. Can you imagine how forlorn he must have been? He's looking up to heaven and thinking, God, where are you? I've not not drifted from you. I'm leaning into your story. Are you going to offer some help? And in those moments when you and I feel that pressed, man, we need someone of strength, someone who's going to comfort us. Someone who's going to put their arm around us and encourage us and walk with us. And you've got those people in your life, but there are moments when even those people seem to be walking away, just like they did for Job. Because in verse 9, what we find is that his wife comes along beside him. And he says, she says, are you still trying to be a man of integrity? Are you still trying to worship God? You should just curse God and die. trying to sell that script to Job. Because this is what the enemy will do. If he can't get you to buy his script, then he will begin to look at people that are very close to you, that you love and respect and honor. And he will try to sell them the script so that they can come into your life and do what he can't do. There are people that you trust and you honor and you admire in your own life But when they begin to start doubting, when they begin to spread some seeds of, well, what's going on? It's kind of difficult because you're leaning into that voice. And there have been moments in your own life, maybe with your dad or your mom, when you've heard that type of voice, why can't you be more like your brother? Why why can't you be more like our next-door neighbor's child, Sally? Why why can't you be more like so-and-so in the youth group? at church. And that comparison happens, but what we have to realize is that is the script of Satan talking. That's not the people we love talking. And we love them through that anyway. It's Satan giving us that hurtful information. And like Job, we often have those discouraging people around us, but we often also have to deal with some very demoralizing accusations that are made. Some of them may not even be true. 
And Job's friends come on the scene now. No, they hang out for about seven days, about a week, and they're encouraging, they're supportive, put their arm around him. But after a week, all that is over, and the voices that he's listened to his whole life for encouragement and strengthening begin to question where he is and what is going on. Some of those voices that he's respected and honored say, this has got to be your fault, Job. Things would not be happening like this had you not dishonored God in some way, in some fashion. This is on your shoulders. God is punishing you for missteps that you've taken in the past. But you and I need to realize, again, that is the enemy talking. It's not those close to us talking. And we've got to pull back the curtain on that lie that Satan tries to give us each and every time that we turn around. For some of us, There are folks in our life that are dealing with an addiction of some kind, maybe a drug or an alcohol addiction. Maybe it's a porn addiction. Maybe you've got friends or or close family members in your life that are struggling with same-sex attraction. It could be any number of things. And so many times we, as those friends who they rely on and look to for guidance, we, we basically say in the gist of things, look, I'm with you for about three months, and if you can't turn it around in three months, I'm out of here. I'm going to be done. When God calls us to a lifetime of journey, sometimes with the friends that desperately need to hear that strength of God's voice in their life. We know, too, that God sees us through his son. If you're anything like me, there's stuff in my life that I wish were not there, wish never had happened But God sees me through his son. Jesus is perfect, I'm not. But because I'm clothed in Jesus Christ, because he's my Lord and Savior, when God looks at Tim, he sees his son, and therefore he sees Tim as pure, perfect. I'm not, Jesus Christ is. And we've got to remember that in our own walk, in our own story, that there are things that you and I wish had never happened in our life, but when we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord, when we're baptized into his name, when we claim that type of salvation, then God sees us differently than he used to. But like any one of us, Job is a human being. He struggles with what is happening in his life, and he begins to ask some questions, not only of those around him, but of God directly And in Job chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Job begins by saying this, talking about God. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One, but I don't have the strength to endure. Anybody resonate with that? Feeling weak at times? I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless without any chance of success. Satan believes he's just about to flip the script to what the enemy wants him to say. Job is struggling. He's asking some questions of God. He's saying, God, this is how I feel. Where are you at? I've served you honestly, openly, faithfully, and yet I feel like you're not in this with me, and I'm wondering, God, where you are. And the real question that Job asked that we ask in our own lives is, can I trust God? 
Will he do what he's promised to do? His friends chime in and the discussion goes back and forth. All of his friends have something to say, some counsel to give him, and it all ends up just walk away from the relationship you have with God. Don't trust in him. Job is in this dialogue with him. He's trying to defend his own faith in the process. And then God has heard just about enough. And God opens his mouth in chapter 38 of Job, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. I love that that vision of chaos. There's stuff happening in your life and you're not sure. Verse 2, God says, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Now, let me tell you something. Anybody ever tell you to brace yourself? You better get ready. I was watching some football yesterday, and some guys didn't brace themselves. It didn't look very pretty. They weren't ready for that hit. Verse 4, God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who, what supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind the barred gates limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here. Your proud waves must stop. Well, I hope Job is braced. That's just the front end of God's discussion. That opening segue is intriguing, it is indicting, and it is also comforting. Because it reminds us that in our life that God is so big, there's nothing beyond him. There's stuff in your life that you're wondering and God is saying, listen, I am bigger than everything else that's going on in the world. I'm bigger than the chaos. I've been here since the beginning of time. As a matter of fact, I created time. I created everything in it as well. And after God's discussion with Job, Job says in chapter 40 and verse 4, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. And any of us that have ever wondered about trusting in God and God's revealed that to us, my guess is we've felt the same way. I know I have in my life. When I realized how omnipotent God was, how wise he is, his counsel, and how how he's ever-present in every moment of our own life. And in chapter 42, in verse 5, Job says at the end, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Wow. 
At the beginning of the story, everything was great for Job. He had everything lined up. Everything was successful in the world's eyes, maybe even in his own eyes. By the end, everything is falling apart, and it's then that he sees God. Some of you have been through and are going through the whirlwind right now. But I want to encourage you that God is ever-present. Now you may see God where you didn't see him before. And it's so true in every instance. When we need God most desperately is when we see him most clearly in our life. There are no atheists in foxholes. When things are going tough, we lean into God and his script because we know he's faithful. He's trustworthy. He will be there for us. And the writer said in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 17, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from their trouble. Know that God is listening to you. He hears you. He desperately wants to be a part of your story. Do not buy the enemy's script and just give up. In the middle of the story, the enemy believes Job is just about ready to turn from God. And then Job flips the script on the enemy. And he says in chapter 19 and verse 25, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. I know that he is there, that he listens. And Job draws the line in the sand. His life is falling apart, but Job's hope is not in this world. It is in the God of all creation. It is in the understanding of who God truly is in the grand scheme of things. God makes all things new. He changes life. He he makes everything new. Paul talks about his own experience to his letter to the Corinthian church. Paul's talking about his ministry trips, his missionary trips, and he's talking about how Satan has thrown things in the way of that good news spreading. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul mentions, he says, listen, there's been all kinds of stuff happening in my life. We've been crushed We've been perplexed. We've been hunted. There's been all kinds of chaos going on in our life. But then he calls on the power of God and he says, but God's power is more. And he says in chapter 4, verse 16, beginning, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And for those of us who've bought into the story, the script that God's given us, that's so true for you. That our whirlwind here on earth will be short-lived. And when we stay connected to God through Jesus Christ... Our glory in heaven is going to be outweighing all the trouble you had here on earth. In your own life, you may be saying, well, nobody likes an addict. Nobody wants to hang around an addict. You've made decisions that destroyed your family's life. You can't get a job. Nobody wants you. 
But you turn around and say, but I know that my Redeemer lives. You lean into different things that are happening at work, the gossip that is spread, the untruths that are told. You lose your job. The finances are really tight right now. I've been diagnosed with inoperable cancer. I've got this thing that's just hanging around physically within my body. I can't seem to get rid of it. But we all turn in that moment when we say, I know that my Redeemer lives. You see, God takes the broken pieces of our life and he puts them all back together to make a very beautiful picture. You see, God God cares for you. God loves you. God sent his son to die for you. Oh, I know that my Redeemer lives. How about you, church? I mean, Jesus Christ is it. He is above everything that's happening in your life right now. All the whirlwind, all the chaos, all the stuff that Satan's trying to throw at you to get to pull you away from the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Paul tells us it's nothing compared to what we're going to have in heaven. And we lean into the story of Jesus Christ. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm going to invite, not Brad, Stephen, (laughs) praise team back to the stage this morning. As we sing this next couple of songs, I want you to think about in your own life, what chaos are you dealing with? What's going on in your life that you wish you could just put to rest, put to bed, and move past? Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I I want you to go seek one of those couples out. Let them lay hands on you. Let them pray over you. Talk about what's happening in your life so that you can move past that and be reminded that we have a Redeemer who lives. That it's been taken care of on the cross. And we will no longer listen to the script that the enemy wants to sell us. But we'll give him the boot out of our life because we've accepted the script that God's given us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together and praise his name.